0: Well, good morning. Wow, That's weak. Good morning, church. Awesome. So great to be here this morning. I want to thank Brandon and and John and and Jordan and everyone, the leadership here, for giving me the chance to come speak to you. Uh, The Bible says God used a donkey. I think he looked at me, said I fit the bill, and now he's using me. So here I am. Uh, No, I'm very privileged to be here. Uh, I coached for 30 years, uh, high school coaching in the state of Georgia. And A little bit of the message I want to share with you today about no regrets is the fact that uh, my life is a picture of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who took a a broken, uh, faulty, failing man, uh, saved him at Calvary, amen, Amen. and has began a process of redeeming me and restoring me and, and making me more like his son Christ. And it's the backdrop, the perspective, the frame of reference of seeing how Christ has loved me and forgiven me that has motivated me for over 30 years to share Scripture and pray with kids in the public schools for 30 years. To have had those years to see hundreds of young people and community members come to know Christ because of the work of Christ in me. Today, as we begin to talk about a life of no regrets What I'm going to ask you to do is turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, and I want to tell you, kind of give you a little backdrop of how we're going to go this morning. We're going to look at the life of Peter, some illustrations in his life, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop you in the middle of his story, then we're going to go back and look at the beginning of his story, and then we're going to finish and see how his story ends. Amen? So God willing, we'll be able to navigate that this morning. So let's look at this scripture, Luke chapter 22. I want to start verses 61 and 62. And the Bible says this And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for waking us in the breath of life. Thank you for this opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for that baptism. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray this morning that, Father, that you would speak through me. I pray, Father, that you'd give me Holy Ghost unction to to preach your word. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to all of our hearts. Uh, Father, that we wouldn't leave the way that we came in. Oh, that our hearts would be stirred, Father. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that they would make that decision today. And for those of us that do, Father, that we would have an increased motivation to serve you, to love you, and to tell others about you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I want to tell you something this morning. As as we begin, is that as Christ followers, uh, a life of no regrets does not mean that we've never failed it doesn't mean that we don't regret things that we have said or done the idea of a life of no regrets as a christ follower is the knowledge that god can and will use the lessons from our faults and our failures to lead us into a life of repentance of restoration and growth in other words he turns graves into gardens He teaches his children a better way. He teaches us of the abundant life, John 10, 10, where it says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come to give life and life more abundant. And I want to tell you this morning that the abundant life isn't more stuff, it's more Jesus. I'll say it again. The abundant life isn't more stuff, it's more Jesus. I want you to hear this this morning, that He never leaves us the way that we were. He never wastes our pain. Rather, He uses it to lead and encourage and love others through the lens of His work at Calvary. You see, it's that that backdrop of what Jesus did. You know, the Bible says, He who is loved much, loves much. And if you're in here this morning and you have genuinely given your heart to Christ, if you are a Christ follower, then you understand the great expense at which Christ went to to save your soul, to forgive your sin, to make a future home for you in all of eternity. And as you've lived life, if you're like me and you've watched that risen Savior forgive and redeem and restore, it motivates us to live for him, to love him, and to share the story, the gospel story, of jesus christ wherever we are i never separated the fact that i was a christian and a coach coaching was the platform whatever it is that you do whatever arena of life you find yourself in in your home as a husband and a father as a wife and a mother whatever your job may be it's a platform it's an opportunity for the love of christ the bible says he he lavishes his love on us and as we use those two perspectives that we're living an abundant life of more Jesus and he's lavishing his love on us, that that love of Christ and the work he's done in your life and in my life is then poured out on those around us. And that a lost world, here's the story, of a risen Savior that loves them so much that he died for them. Amen. That ought to get a thousand amens. I've done a poor job preparing you. That's bad coaching. All right, here's how this goes. At the 11 o'clock, I have no timer. So the more you amen, the shorter the sermon, right? I did a poor job of coaching you up on the front end. Bad coach, right? Got to do a better job. That's to get a 1,000 amens. The fact that as Christ followers, that he loves us enough to discipline us and to correct us, to give us the opportunity to look in the mirror, to see our faults and failures and take them to him, and for him to use those moments in our life to grow us, To cut things off of our life that keep us from being all that he's called us to be. You know, as a coach, I always told my players this. I always said, I'm going to discipline you when you need discipline. And when I do, it will always be for one of three reasons. It's either to make you a better player, it's to make you a better person, or it's to make you a better student. If you're not doing what you need in the classroom, I'm going to discipline you. If you're not behaving outside of, the, the, uh, outside of school, I'm going to discipline you. If you're not doing what you need to do as a player, I'm going to discipline you. But here's what I always told them. It will never change the way I feel about you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves us so much that he disciplines us, that he works in our lives, and that when we do fail and when we do make mistakes, it never changes the way he feels about you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally. In Luke 22, the verse that we just read, I want you to get this picture. Here's Peter. He's just denied Jesus for the third time. He's in the courtyard around a fire. Somebody had a little fire pit set up right outside the courtyard. And so Jesus is just across the way. The Bible tells us that that they can see one another. Jesus has been captured by the the temple guard and the Sanhedrin and the temple guard have him there and they're mocking him and they're beating him and, and, and Peter can see this and he's surrounded by other people by the fire. And that verse tells us that Peter looks and Jesus turns and it says he looks at him. And it says that Peter goes away weeping bitterly. You see, something that became very evident right there to me is that when you and I are genuine Christ followers, if you have genuinely asked Christ to come into your heart and and save you, then we are marked. Like there's something about you when you come to know Christ. Like, there was something about Peter. Three different times they recognized him. Hey, you're a Christ follower. Hey, you follow that that Jesus, don't you? No, 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 I don't. There was something about him. We just had our first grandson this summer. And if you look at KT, he's named after me, by the way. If you look at him, he looks just like my son Dylan did. Just like him. And Dylan looks like his mom. And Winnie looks like her dad. Like, they're marked. Like, you know, like, when we first got married, we'd be around Statesboro, and, and we'd be going somewhere, and Wendy wouldn't even know who the person was, and they'd go up to her and say, you're Harvey Wilfer's daughter, aren't you? Like, they knew. You look at, I look at Wendy holding our grandson, and it, it's like flashbacks. It looks like she's holding Dylan when he was little. When you and I ask Jesus into our heart, we truly confess our sin and our need for a Savior, he changes us. The Bible says, if, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're marked. And what does that mean, coach? That means if you've truly given your heart to Christ, he changes your want to. If you're truly belonging to Christ, it, it makes it where even if you do it, you really know you shouldn't be hanging with those people you're running with. It like If you're doing something, you know you shouldn't. Because you're marked by Christ, you know you shouldn't be doing it. Like there's something different about you. And the chances are in an auditorium this size with this many people, there are probably some here this morning. Listen, maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you went to Sunday school your whole life. Maybe you put something in the offering plate. That's wonderful. But that doesn't save you. There's not a hundred ways to heaven. There's not ten ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you know Jesus, he changes your want to. He makes you different. And you can't hide it. Peter couldn't hide it. If you're taking notes this morning, something I'd like for you to write down is this as we move into this story. First of all is this. A life of no regrets. Must be a life of repentance, redemption, and restoration. One of the mistakes I think a lot of new believers make is they think that or they think that repentance is just something they do the moment they get saved. I'm a sinner. I'm going to repent. Ask Christ in my life. Repentance should be a part of the everyday life of a Christ follower. Every day. Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. I had an old preacher I used to listen to, and he would, he would always pray this prayer. He said he prayed it every day. Lord, take control of my mind, my mouth, and my heart that I might not think or say or purpose anything contrary to your will, your word, or your character. We should live a life of repentance, a life devoted to Christ where he is redeeming our lives and redeeming the time and restoring us and making us the best versions of ourselves for his glory. Because here's the truth: if you and I know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I love this. It's that, and I want you to hear this: if you know Jesus this morning as Lord and Savior, you've been saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. What do you mean, Coach? Well, if you, the moment in your heart that you ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you, at that moment, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life in blood, not pencil. At that moment, you received the deposit of his Holy Spirit, the person of his Holy Spirit within you to guide you and teach you and comfort you and lead you. You were saved. But that wasn't the end. That was the beginning. And now as a Christ follower, you are being saved. Saved from what? You're being saved from your flesh, from the world, and from Satan. He is saving you. You are in a process until the day you take your last breath of him saving you from the flesh, from the world, and from Satan. And then the Bible says, for us that know Christ as Lord and Savior, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. There's coming a day where you and I will take our last breath. I look at research this morning. The death rate is hovering around 100%. The rest of you will get it after lunch. We've all got a date. Life's going to end. And for those of us that know Christ, the Bible says that we're headed for a place that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Amen? If you know Jesus, you're saved, and you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. You'll spend all of eternity with him. You see, this life of no regrets is about perspective. You see, Satan wants you to look back. Satan wants your focus to be in the past. All the failures, all the faults. I'm not good enough. I didn't do that well. I failed at that. Husband, father, you know, uh, mother, wife, brother, sister, work, whatever the case. He wants you looking back, and I'll give you some free information of no charges more than others will help him. Satan wants you to look back, and others will help him. There will be people that will help remind you of your past mistakes and failures. I would avoid those people. Satan wants you to see a grave by keeping your focus on past regrets. Here's my question this morning. Who are you listening to, and what are your eyes set on? Because Jesus wants you to see a garden. He wants you to get your eyes on him and focus on living a life of no regrets in the future that he has for you. So let's look at Peter for a minute. What do we know about Peter? We just saw this incredible failure. He's broken, he's he's betrayed Jesus. What do we know about him as a man? First of all, he was a fisherman. He was hot-tempered, probably used vulgar language. He was a man of action. We know he was strong, he was very physical, and wasn't afraid of anything. In Luke 5, we learn that he was a sinful man that was welcomed into Jesus' inner circle. Who's thankful that as a broken, sinful human being, by the way of the cross, you've been invited into Jesus' inner circle? Anybody excited about that this morning? Amen. Amen. 15 of you. We're going to have an incredible altar call today. I feel it. This is going to be good. We see him cut off a soldier's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. Interestingly, he reacts in violence instead of the love that Jesus had been teaching him for three years. All right, let's see a show of hands with me. Any hard-headed, stubborn people? Oh, wow. Y'all are much more than first service. That's all right. Or you're more honest, one or the other. He was hard-headed. He was stubborn. He tried to rebuke Jesus when Jesus was telling the disciples about his crucifixion and resurrection. He's trying to lay out the plan. And Peter says, no, 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 I'll never let that happen to you. I mean, Jesus had to even call him Satan. He says, Satan, get behind me. Like, no, you don't understand, you're wrong. And then we see the ultimate betrayal where Peter denies Jesus, not once, but three times. If you're taking notes Write this down. The good news is that even through Peter's mistakes, even through our mistakes, even though they cost him and they cost you and I much pain and sorrow, the good news is it didn't cancel his identity in Christ. It doesn't cancel your identity in Christ if you know him as Savior. You see, I've had my share of failures and regrets in coaching, in my marriage, in my spiritual life, but the good news is that God used those failures. He caused me to come to a place where I had to look in the mirror. I had to face my brokenness. I had to face the things in my life that he wanted to break off. He had to break pride off my life, and he had to break selfishness and self-centeredness off my life. And I can tell you this, I look back on my life and i see so many opportunities, not only where he was trying to win my soul and save me and I kept pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off and I'm so thankful he didn't give up on me, but he kept giving me opportunities to receive him. And even as a believer, I look back on my life and I see so many times where I had opportunities to get that stuff, to put it at his feet and move on. And I did and I held on to parts of my life And he had to use those broken times and those failures to to, to break those things off of my life. And I'm thankful that he did that. They were painful. It didn't feel good. It wasn't fun. And a lot of the pain and sorrow that I went through, I caused myself. But he loved me through it. He forgave me. He redeemed me. And he restored me. And he wants to do the same for you. You see, I serve a God that disciplines me. Why? Because he wants to grow me, and he wants to make me more effective for the gospel. Let's jump, into the, let's jump into the middle of this story. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Let's go back to before the betrayal. Matthew chapter 16. I want to look at verses 13 through 19. Before the betrayal even happens, let's look at this account in Peter's life. It says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and he said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the living God." The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Peter got it right. Peter had made a decision. He had realized that this was truly the Messiah. This was in fact the Son of God sent to save the world. He confesses it. We have this confession but we're going to see that he's still a broken man because he was able to deny him later three times. He's a Christ follower with faults and failures and brokenness just like me and just like you. Everyone in here, newsflash, you're broken. All of us, broken. Humans in need of a Savior. So it goes on to say this. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, this is what he says to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I love that. Hey, listen, you don't come to Christ because of some eloquent speech. It won't be because I gave some great speech. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I even love the account Paul gives in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 when he talks about the conversion of the Thessalonians. He says this, He said that you heard the word of God, not as the word of men, but as in truth. And then he says this, which effectively works in you. In other words, you heard the gospel. It had nothing to do with who said it, but it was the Spirit of God who illuminated the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you realized that that you needed a Savior. And it says, and then it effectively, continually works in you. What do you mean, coach, that when we come to know Christ, We get saved, and then we are in process, and it's the gospel. The gospel wasn't just about the day you got saved. The gospel is in effect and working in you every day as a believer until you go home to be with the Lord. The gospel is real every day. The gospel is affecting me every day. And it's affecting you every day. So Jesus says, hey, it wasn't just the word of man that you heard. You, you, get it. you got it right. This was revealed to you by God. He says, and I also say to you, verse 18, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I love, if you're taking notes, I love how Jesus reminds Peter of his position and his destiny before his epic failure. He reminds Peter of his position and his destiny before his failure. Did Jesus know he was going to fail? Absolutely. Did he know that he was going to deny him three times? Yes, he did. But he loved him and he knew that he could restore him. He knew the potential that was within Peter, even though he had failed. Even though he had failed many times. And he does the same for you and me. There's probably some sitting in this room now. And the enemy has rendered you ineffective for the gospel for Christ because, again, Satan's got you so bogged down in the things of the world or your past failures or your past mistakes that you don't feel like you can be used, and so you're just sitting there. And I want to tell you this morning that you serve a risen Savior that loves you. Listen, you could never do enough to make him love you more, and you could never do enough to make him love you less. He loves you unconditionally fully, and he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a calling on your life. He has a destiny on your life. And that calling and destiny was in place before your failures. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He's on the cross knowing your mistakes. He's bleeding and dying and excruciating death, knowing all your failures. And he's forgiving them past, present, and future. And I love this. The Bible says he forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west. And I was telling somebody about this the other day. They're like, hey, how does God forget? God's God. Listen, it's, it's so much better than that. God doesn't just forget, He doesn't forget your sin. It's not that He can't remember your sin. It's that He loves you so much that He chooses as God to forget it. He makes the choice. It's gone. It's over. And I love you. That should get a thousand amens. I mean, think about that. He doesn't owe us anything, by the way, nothing. But he loved us so much that he sent Jesus. He loves you so much that when you profess faith in him, he says, here's all your sin. And it's not that he can't remember it. It's that he chooses not to ever, 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 ever again. Somebody needed to hear that today. Our identity, once we come to Christ, our identity, everybody in this room needs to hear this. Our identity is righteous child of God. That is who you are. If you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you, your identity, how God sees you, is as a righteous child of his. How is that possible? I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I fail. Because it's not about you and what you do. It's about Jesus and what he did. It's because if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, it's his poured out blood at Calvary that covers your sin. Old hymnal that says, it washes us white as snow. Amen. Washes us white as snow. It's not because of who we are or anything that we've done, but because of who he is and what he did. So let's look at let's look at the end of this story. Turn with me to John 21. We're getting to the best part. John chapter 21. So here we have Peter. Jesus has Proclaimed his identity and his destiny. Then we see Peter fail once again. So how does this story end? Where does this go? Look at John 21. Let's start in verse 3. John 21, verse 3. I love it. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. How many of you remember what Peter was doing when he first met Jesus, when Jesus called him to be a disciple? He was fishing. You know, I felt like the Lord just kind of made this point. It's kind of interesting as human beings how a lot of times when we fail or falter, make mistakes, aren't living like we need to, it's kind of funny how our default is to kind of go back to what we knew. Sometimes our default is to kind of go back to what we were doing Sometimes you find yourself in that limbo, in that place of what's going on? What am I supposed to do? Where do I go from here? We we lose focus. We lose sight of of what we need to be doing as followers of Christ. And so here's Peter. He He goes back fishing. See, at this point, Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. Interestingly, he's appeared to some of the disciples twice already. This is going to be the third time that he appears to his disciples. So he says this, verse 3. He says, we're going with you. They say to the uh, other disciples, say to him, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, they caught what? They caught what? Nothing. Who remembers the first time that Peter met Jesus? He was doing what? Fishing. And they caught what? Nothing. Oh, I love that. I think it's absolutely vital to the story, because here was Peter's first encounter with Jesus, fishing, catching nothing. He's with his friends, fishing, and catching nothing, and so what happens? Look at verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Who remembers that first encounter? Peter was doing what? Fishing. Caught what? Jesus showed up, filled the nets. They couldn't even bring it in. Oh, but it gets even better. This gets really good because now we get Peter encountering Jesus post-resurrection, after his uh, epic failure, and Jesus is working the same miracle. What do you think is going on, coach? I love it because here's what it tells me. It's amazing the link that Jesus will go to, to the smallest detail, to win our hearts and the hearts of the lost. Because to me, what it represented was a fresh start. It's a fresh start. You see, there are some here this morning, as I said earlier, there's a good chance there's someone here that who, who has never genuinely given their heart to Jesus Christ. You may have gone to church your whole life and Sunday school your whole life and you've given and you you, you can show your W-2s and you didn't lie on your taxes, amen or owe oh me. But you listen, if you do not have Christ in your heart, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And you this morning need a fresh start. You need someone who can heal your marriage, who can break addictions who can break off strongholds, who can set you free from your past and set you on a course and a destiny that will honor him, bring glory to his name, and bless you the rest of the days of your life. A fresh start. You see, Jesus rescued a sinful man and loved him through all of his failures unconditionally. And he desires to do the same thing in your life And in mine. Let's see what else happens. It says in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. He plunged into the sea. You see, some of us need to hear this this morning. I don't care what your failures may be, what your past may look like. I don't know what you may have walked in that door with this morning. But what Peter tells me in this story right here is that when we face the things in life, the storms of life, the failures, all those things that we struggle with, we don't run from Jesus, we run to Jesus. Don't run from him, run to him. Peter doesn't wait on the boat to get back to shore. Peter doesn't wait for his circumstances to change. Peter doesn't wait for someone else to make the decision. He sees it's Jesus. He's broken. He has failed. And so he plunges into the water. He can't get to Jesus fast enough. I guarantee you here this morning, there are some that can't get to him fast enough. You came through those doors with something that only Jesus can touch. Some of you walk through those doors and you're in the midnight hour in your life for whatever reason it may be. And the only one that can touch it is Jesus Christ. I've been there. And it's great. People want to pray for you and they may speak a word to you and they want to share a verse with you. But there are some things in life that no human being can touch or help you with. Only Jesus can. And Peter knew it. And he couldn't wait to get to him. You look at Peter's response, he runs to Jesus. He runs and he can't wait. Look at verse 8, it says, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. You know, I looked at that and I thought, you know what? You know, the other ones that were sitting in the boat, you know, I don't know everything. The Bible doesn't exhaust everything that they may have done wrong or what faults and failures they may have. But I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? They probably should have jumped into. You know, they probably should. I don't want to be that. I don't want to sit back in the boat. I don't want to think i got it all together. I don't want to think that I've got it so figured out that I can casually just take the boat back to the shore. I think I'd rather be like Peter. Amen. Let me just jump into him and get to him as fast as I can. That may just be me. I may just be fallen and broken enough that that's the way I feel about it, but I kind of thought about that in a sense that I can't believe they just sat in the boat. You see, the first time that Peter met Jesus in Luke 5, it says the nets weren't strong enough. Do you remember that? Look at what happens here, verse, uh, verse 8. It says, the others were in the boat. They dragged the net with the fish. Verse 9, then as soon as they had come to land... It says they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Verse 10 Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter, listen, he went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. Listen, and although there were so many, the nets had not broken. The first time he's fishing and meets Jesus, they're fishing. And I catch a fish. Now they've caught so many it says they couldn't bring them aboard, and it said the nets broke. Now he sees Jesus again. He's fishing. Jesus tells them to cast the net. It fills up. The Bible says right there, with larger fish, but this time the nets didn't break. The nets. Didn't break. You see, God's inspired word is not coincidental. Everything in here is the infallible word of God and it is in there for a reason. Coach, why do you think they caught so many fish bigger than the first time? Why this time didn't the nets break? I want you to hear this. Jesus changed the narrative, he changed Peter's story. He brings beauty from ashes. You see, The victory had come for Peter. The victory had come for the world in the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, he wants to change your narrative. If you do know him, he wants to use your story to win others. Peter's restoration teaches us several things. One, it teaches us to press in, to repent. It teaches us to to press in, to repent. Peter's story teaches us to seek Jesus, even if it means to run, jump, swim, whatever it takes. It teaches us to trust God for the answers. Peter didn't understand it all. It required faith. It teaches us to wait on him and walk with him while we wait. That's being disciplined in his word. That's being disciplined in my prayer life so that I can grow my relationship with Christ and become all that he's called me to be. You see, apart from Jesus in the equation, don't miss this. We have no compass for life. We have no ability to make sense of our broken reality. And we have no way to be restored and no way to be empowered through his Holy Spirit through kingdom work. We all need Jesus. So let's get to the last part peter's restoration so jesus says to them come and eat breakfast verse 12 yet none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you knowing that it was the lord jesus then came and took the bread and broke it and gave it to them likewise the fish and this is now the third time that jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead verse 15 so when they had eaten breakfast jesus says to simon peter he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And So Jesus says, feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus was thorough and he was perfect in his work of forgiveness and restoration. He could have just forgiven, but I believe in this testimony, he touches all three failures. I believe what Jesus was saying is, Peter, you're forgiven, go fulfill your purpose. Peter, you're forgiven, now go fulfill your purpose. Peter, you are forgiven, go fulfill your purpose. I love how this narrative of threes plays out in Peter's story. And the reason that that's so important is the number three in the Bible signifies growth, and restoration the number three in the bible signifies growth and restoration coach why is that important well you have the trinity god the father god the son god the holy spirit you have jesus rising from the dead on the what third day three disciples went into the garden of gethsemane before the crucifixion jesus has just now appeared to his disciples the third time And Jesus confronts Peter with grace three times so what became of Peter Peter would become the most prominent of the twelve Apostles the New Testament gives a more complete picture of Peter than any other disciple other than Paul Peter is named first in all of the listings of the twelve Apostles we know that Peter would become the pioneer of the early church And we know that just two months, just two months, don't miss this, just two months after Peter denies Jesus three times, Peter preaches a sermon at Pentecost and over 3,000 people came to be saved. (laughs) Remember way back there when Jesus told Peter about his destiny and his calling? Before he even failed, the epic failure. And then here comes Jesus on the scene with a brand new narrative. Before, the nets would break. Now, the, bre- the nets weren't breaking. Amen? A new narrative. It was a new day. Destiny was always there. The call was always there. Jesus never changed the way he loved him. He just had to break some things off of Peter's life. He had to bring Peter to that place of brokenness so that Peter could see that it was all about Jesus. That anything and everything in his life that was going to have value was about Jesus. Let me close with this. Faith hero Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote this. He said, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. He said, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Any measure of grace which does not begin and end with Jesus Christ is no grace at all. If you would, I'm going to ask you to stand. Everyone's standing. Music playing. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you'd bow your heads with me. Bow your heads. We're, We're moving to a close. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We won't take long. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you this morning. God can do work in your heart right where you stand. But I think there's something about a movement of faith. When someone, God stirred in their heart, when someone knows that they need to plunge from that boat, someone knows they need to run to Jesus, swim to Jesus, I think there's something that God sees when someone steps out by faith and makes their way to uh, the, one of the most unused instruments of the church which is the altar there's just something about God seeing that faith and seeing that childlike faith and seeing that desire and that need for him that I believe he blesses and he touches and so in just a moment as the music's playing this altar is going to be open if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and I'm not talking about head knowledge I'm talking about heart knowledge like you genuinely know that you've given your life to Him and that He is your Savior. And the Bible says that, that you know these things, that He tells you these things, that you know that you're saved. But if you're here this morning and you've never genuinely given your heart to Christ, I want to invite you to come down to this altar and you pray. Simple prayer, confessing your sin, your need for a Savior, and you ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. And I promise you He'll do it. Maybe you're here this morning and there's past regrets and past failures. You came through that door with something. The list may be too long for me to even talk about it this morning. But you know that you need to jump out of that boat and run, swim. You need to run to Jesus this morning. You need him to write a new narrative in your marriage. You need him to write a new narrative in your job, and your business. You need him to give you the motivation and the perspective of the great love and sacrifice that he gave you and I at Calvary so that you'll use whatever platform you have to share Jesus and tell your story, whatever that may be, I want to encourage you to come. We'll have counselors that can pray with you or pray for you. When I count to three, you come. One, two, three. You come. Altar's open. Thank you. Amen. You come. Amen. husband, wife, family, you come, let Jesus write a new narrative, amen, maybe you need to lay some things down at his feet, you come, he's here. you don't feel led to come maybe you just extend your hand towards those that are maybe you take this moment to pray for those in need this morning